Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'm very pleased to be joined once again on the uh, podcast tonight by uh, Mestradamus, John Coppinger. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, and I uh, appreciate you having me back. You know, the last time we had you on, I, I believe you were uh, taking a midnight stroll, and uh, <laughs> you had great information, but it was a little tough to hear you, and, and now you sound, uh, you sound great, so I can't wait to get started. No, and, uh, th- thank you very much, and uh, it's, uh, it, it'll be fun to do it indoors for once. All right. Well, um, I, I want to start off with something that maybe is not about the Mets, but it, it kind of sort of impacts them, and that's because it's their hated rival, the Braves. And uh, as we all know, they were involved in uh, little shenanigans with how they were handling their international free agents. And uh, they got caught, and uh, the penalty just came down where their GM was banned for life. Their scouting director got a one-year suspension. All the players, all the international players that they signed in that time period were made free agents and the club had restrictions on how much it could spend in international free agents the next few years. Uh, I'm I'm speechless. What's your take? It's yeah, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy crazy story, and uh, especially when you're talking about uh, somebody being banned for life. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, you talk about people who are alive now that have been banned for life. You got Pete Rose. You got Henry Mejia. Yeah, and you got Chris Correa from the uh, from the Astros Cardinals hacking scandal, and that's it. So that's a that's a big deal to be uh, to be uh, out of the game for life. And you wonder if the uh, if the punishment was more for what they did, or or because they were stupid enough to get caught. But uh, <laughs> you wonder how how uh, widespread this is actually that that's actually going on. Uh, and I and I wonder if it makes other clubs nervous uh as to uh as to whether they're going to get caught next or not but uh we'll we'll see what happens but yeah that's a that's a very big deal and it'll affect the Braves down the line because at a certain point uh uh, three four years from now when they're expecting these players well they were expecting these players to mature and uh, come up with the organization now they're going to have to find a plan b and uh perhaps spend some money on major league free agents and who knows if they're going to be able to do that so it won't affect them now but it'll affect them down the line for sure now i I was shocked over the penalties not that those penalties weren't deserved but how uh, MLB acted so swiftly and so decisively and, and pretty much, I think, sent a message to every other club out there. It's just like the rules are serious. You can't uh, be pulling these little shenanigans to, to try to circumvent the rules, and, and, and I think it's just terrific. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's not, it's not really something baseball's been been prone to do or any sport has been prone to, to have these uh, – really crazy suspensions and really harsh suspensions. But if this is something that uh, Rob Manfred feels is, uh, it has, a, has a chance to be more widespread, then good for him for nipping it in the bud. 
Well, as long as we're talking about international free agents, let's uh, continue to talk about one who's who's seemingly uh, has been connected to the Mets here, although I'm not quite sure why. And I'm wondering if maybe you can explain to me how come there's been so much buds lately about the uh, the Mets pursuing uh, Japanese two-way star, and I apologize, I'm going to massacre his name, Shohei Otani. Um, no, I think you got it right. Oh, excellent. So I, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? I think it, what it really comes down to is all it really takes. It, it, it's almost like uh, making fire with flint on Survivor. All you need is a little spark. I think anything that uh, that gets written, whether it's uh, real or pure speculation, is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, keep getting fanned until it gets uh, – uh, taken as absolute fact, anything that gets written in the off season uh, becomes uh, it goes from uh, it's like a game of phone, and then by the time it gets to the end of the road, it's all it, it's all of a sudden you, there's uh, the jersey ceremonies tomorrow. Uh, I, I think the Mets have a chance, just in the fact that a lot of teams have a chance because uh, because of the limits on what you can spend on Otani this year. But uh, that doesn't mean that Otani's going to want to play with the Mets. Uh, I, I think there's, there's a lot of other teams that will probably be higher on his list. So, no, I think you're right. I don't think there's a, a chance that uh, Otani comes to the Mets, but we need, we need things to talk about. <laughs> and what really gets me is that it was a quote from, I believe, Sandy Alderson that, that started this, where he's like, well, yeah, we'll go after him. Uh, but it, it completely ignores the fact that they can't offer him anywhere near as much money as uh, some of the other clubs. I believe the Rangers are the club that has the the most of the international free agent bonus money to offer him. And the Mets have something like, what is it, 150000 to offer him? Yeah, and, and I, I, uh, thought, and I, I thought, thought I read that, that the Orioles run. had something like $9 million oh, um, that they could uh, offer that, him. That could be uh, – I, I thought I heard that the Rangers, with something like three or four million, were the leaders. But no, no, you, you could be have, right. I um, might have missed. All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I don't. I might have misunderstood that. So I, I don't see it happening. So um, let's move on and, and talk about maybe something that's a little more realistic. And the Mets are supposedly in the market for uh, a second baseman, and it looks like their best uh, method of acquiring one might be via trade rather than as a free agent. And I want to know, do you have a, a favorite among some of the names that we've been hearing? You know, guys like uh, Brian Dozier and D. Gordon and Ian Kinsler and Jason Kipnis. Which one of those guys would you uh, prefer they get? I love Dozier, but I think he'd probably cost too much. And I, I think he would cost a lot in prospects that the Mets just don't have right now, uh, unless they want to think about parting with Dominic Smith. Uh, and uh, outside of that, I'd almost would rather give Wilmer Flores a full-time shot. I'm of the mind that Flores needs a full-time position to really learn it and get. Not, you know, the, Flores is never going to be a Gold Glover, but you give him one position and and say, okay, you're gonna you're gonna play 140 games there. I think he would improve to the point that he wouldn't absolutely kill you on a regular basis like he does now when he's shuttled around the infield. Uh, and the rumors now is that uh, Ian Kins- they're discussing Ian Kinsler. And Kinsler is such a fascinating case study uh, when, you, when you talk about um, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the general stats. He's 36. His defense is declining. He saw a big drop in his offense. And the, and the advanced stats, 
that see that saw his hard contact rate go up while his batting average on balls in play was really low. And people are saying, well, that's that's really uh, foretelling of a bounce back year. Except that the hard contact rate was much higher than it ever was. So what if that's the fluke and not? And not the bad offensive numbers. So I think it's real. I think it's interesting to talk about Kinsler. He kind of scares me on and off the field. But you talk about uh, options at second base. Like I said, I love Dozier. Gordon's intriguing. I think the, the Marlins would ask for a lot. I think the Indians would ask for a lot for Kipnis only because he's been so popular with the Indians and he's he's a homegrown talent. Kinsler, I don't think it would take. As much to get him, I think the Tigers are just looking to shed payroll, but I don't know if I want to take that chance on him. Uh, I think you gave an excellent summary of of the four guys, and I have to say that if if it's possible, I would uh, love for them to go after Dozier. I think that uh, he would be a nice fit. Uh, I think he won a, a Gold Glove Award, even though the defensive numbers don't necessarily back that up. So he, he at least has a good defensive reputation, and you got to love that power. And uh, I, I think he'd be a nice addition. And I also think he fits the kind of guy that Sandy Alderson typically goes after. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the thing with Dozier, too, is he's got one, he's got one year left. So maybe if you can uh, if you can offer up something like even and I and I I love him but if you can offer up a Seth Lugo for him that has a little team control for Dozier it's something the Twins may bite on if maybe throw in a lower level prospect you never know uh, there's there's probably there's a way to get it done I don't think anybody's figured it out yet. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Seth Lugo because, to me, he's the real wild card in in everything that goes on with the Mets because if everybody's healthy, he's likely not in the rotation. And then you have to wonder, this past year, they didn't want to use him as a reliever because they were wondering how his arm would hold up with the the, the sporadic uh, usage of a, a bullpen pitcher compared to the starter who's going to go every five days. And you just wonder if the Mets are going to roll the dice on using him as a reliever this year or not. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. It's a very interesting point, especially if, uh, if the Mets are going to go with their plan of not having starters go uh, past the second time in the order. I think when you do, if the Mets are going to do that, then what they're really going to need is a competent long man. I think they're going to need somebody to be that third time through the order guy uh, and not ha- have all of their relievers be specialists or one-inning guys. So they're going to need a long guy, and I think Lugo might fit, fit that bill or he might have to fit that bill for the Mets if everybody's healthy. Now, uh, a few moments ago, you mentioned uh, Dominic Smith, and I wanted to talk about him a little bit. And it seems really up in the air about what they're going to do with him. We've heard rumors that they're uh, monitoring the the free agent market at first base. And I want to know, do you think that the Mets are going to start 2018 with Smith as their primary first baseman? It's a great question. I'm not sure they will. But, uh, you know, Nelson Figueroa did an interview uh, recently on Sunday in fact, where he was saying, well, you, Smith has hit every, at every level he's been at, and, he, uh, is, and that includes trip, AAA. <laughs> Excuse me. But when he came up, he all of a sudden reverted. <clears throat> he, he stopped being that high average guy who uh, can hit for a little power, and all of a sudden he became a 200 hitter that hit for a lot of power. And Figueroa 
was was saying that, well, they were worried about his conditioning, yet they played him 164 games this season between the majors and the minors. So by the end, he he the bat was swinging him rather than him swinging the bat. So and and then and then they go out. Sandy goes out and talks him down. So I mean, if they're going to trade him then it's an interesting strategy to talk him down and drive down his value. So I think he'll be here, whether he's the full-time starter or whether he's a platoon guy, I think remains to be seen. But I still think that, that Smith, as long as he can stay relatively healthy, relatively in shape and, and be fresh, I think, uh, I think he does have a chance to be a producer for the Mets in the middle of the order. Now, I feel like I'm in a really good spot with, Smith because I really don't have a a strong feeling what the Mets should do with him. So I'm pretty much okay with whatever they decide. If they want to send him back to AAA because they think more, he needs more seasoning. That's great. And if they, they use him as, as trade bait to get a Dozier or something else that they can use, I'm okay with that too. But I see what he did at the end of last year with the Mets and the one thing we've always worried about is can he provide the power? And he provided the power. And you've got to figure that sooner or later the hits are going to fall in, whether it was just due to being tired, like you mentioned, from playing in so many games, or if it was just the, the ball wasn't bouncing his way. I, I just have to figure that his, throughout his entire minor league career, he's been a hitter, and he's going to hit for average in, in the majors at, at one point, whether that's – in April of 2018, or or maybe not until next year. So, I'm. I, I, this is a rare thing for me. I'm I'm happy with whatever the Mets decide to do with Smith. Wow, that's that, that is a good spot to be in because uh, that's it lessens your ranks. That's good. Yeah, we we don't have very many of those. So let's talk about a guy who's given me plenty of angst throughout the years, and that's Juan Lagares. And he's one of those guys that that a lot of people really seem to be in love with because. Let's face it, he's, he's probably the best defensive center fielder that, that any of us have ever seen play for the Mets. And, and Carlos Beltran was fantastic. Ligaris is better. But unfortunately, he has a balsa wood bat, and he's, he's never been able to take that step to being uh, a worthwhile offensive player. But now we get some, some news that at least has to make you, you know, turn your head and, and, and lift your eyes, and that's because he's going to work with the coach who revamped J.D. Martinez's swing. So I want to know, how do you see that working out for Ligaris? I see it working out as long as he stays healthy, like you said. You know, Ligaris is an interesting case because Ligaris' salary is going to go up this year and next year. So when the Mets talk about being creative in terms of fitting new players in, uh, it, it's almost as if Ligaris has to start for them, for the Mets to be worth it, because they're not going to, um, you know, right now he profiles as a fourth outfielder, and I'm sure the Mets don't want, or any team for that matter, regardless of payroll restrictions, would want to spend six and a half to nine million dollars on a fourth outfielder. So I think this is probably Ligaris's last chance to. Um, to uh, to improve his bat and to uh, maybe have a career turnaround just like Martinez did. It's something interesting to uh, to look at. I think the downside is if you're putting your eggs in that basket, then you're pretty much saying, look, we're not gonna. That's not going to be one of the the positions we upgrade via free agency, and that's a shame because I really like Lorenzo Cain, and I I think he would be a good fit if the Mets are going to bring in a free agent or two. But if this works with Ligaris, then all you got to do is cross your fingers and pray he stays healthy. I, I really like Ligaris. 
not uh, not only because of the defense, but because he really has been this past year a great example for the young players about his, his hustling, making good decisions, being alert. I think it's uh, I think that's definitely something the Mets need especially since they got rid of uh, a lot of great clubhouse influences in the purge uh, this past season. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, perhaps some of the moves that the Mets are going to make this off season. And the reports have them with somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million to spend here in, in free agency or contracts acquired in trade. And, and one thing that, um, that occurs to me is we hear so much about them spreading the wealth, maybe getting two or three or maybe even four players with that money. And I want to know, do you think uh, they could justify spending the vast majority of it on an impact starting pitcher, somebody like a Jake Arrieta or a Hugh Darvish? I think they could justify it for sure. I think it would get fans excited. I think it would be uh, something that would that would generate some interest among the fan base, and I, I think it would definitely improve their team. It would solve some problems. Uh, what worries me, though, is that I don't I don't want to see the Mets, and I think it would be a little foolish for the Mets to once again put all of their eggs in the starting pitching basket, if only because it's never been a guarantee of playoff success. And you look at teams like the Phillies um, when they had that super rotation in 2010, 2011, and the Braves had that great rotation all those years, and it really didn't guarantee anything. And, you know, listen, the playoffs are all luck, and and it's not really a, a correlation, but it's just it's not a guarantee so I would like to see the Mets spread it around. I'd almost say that if the Mets wanted to uh, add a one impact player, I'd almost rather it be a hitter than a pitcher. But certainly they can justify it if they, if they decided to get one great player. I wouldn't mind that at all. So who would the, the hitter that you would chase if you were just going to go after one guy be? Well, that, that's the problem because it's, uh, there, I don't think there's a hitter out there that's as good – as Arietta and Darvish on the pitching side. So unless you want to, unless you want to throw uh, Otani in that conversation, and we've we've already decided that the Mets have no shot at him. Uh, you know, like I said, I think Lorenzo Cain would be a very good fit if they decided that they wanted to trade Lagaris. But outside of that, again, I think they're going to have to get creative. I, I would love to have Brian Dozier be that guy at second base and uh and swing a trade that way but uh but you're right the best the best players out there are the pitchers so maybe it is the something that the Mets think about and they 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 go in with those three great pitchers of Syndergaard and DeGrom and fill in the blank all right well let's keep talking about pitchers but uh focus on the pitchers who are already on the staff and I want to know, do you feel like the, the new pitching brain trust of manager Mickey Calloway and pitching coach Dave Island, do you think that those two will have more success keeping the Mets pitchers, specifically their starting pitchers, healthier than uh, Terry Collins and Dan Worthen did these past few years? I think they can as long as the, uh, the front office and ownership lets them do what they want to do. Uh, they're talking about letting guys throw, 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 and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Uh, it certainly couldn't hurt. It couldn't be any worse than than all of the injuries that the pitchers had uh, in past years. So I would hope that they would let them have some input when it comes to that because, uh, like I said, it, 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 it couldn't hurt. And uh, having guys that have worked together like Callaway and Island have, they've got a little sim- uh, simpatico thing going on with each other. And uh, I don't – 
and I don't think that can hurt either. Uh, with Dave Island, Dave Island was the pitching coach for uh, Kelvin Herrera, and uh, he uh, oversaw his best year. So maybe that's somebody that the Mets can go out and, and get also to go back to the, uh, to the free agent uh, trade route. But, uh, but, yeah, I think if the front office and ownership lets them do what they want to do and is open to their ideas, I think that has a real good chance of happening. Earlier, you mentioned the Braves staff, and it's hard to think of a Braves staff without thinking of their famous pitching coach, Leo Mazzoni, who is famous for wanting his pitchers to throw a lot. And then you, don't, you never know if, if the, the regimen was successful or it was because he had Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz all of those years to work with. But I, I definitely think it's something that the, the Mets should try with having their, their guys throw more than perhaps they have the past few years. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. And uh, you want to build up, you want to build up muscle. You want to build up arm strength. That's the thing that Tom Grieve was saying. That uh, that the the reason that Syndergaard got injured when he saw that coming, saying, "Hey, he's building up muscle, but he's not throwing during that muscle buildup." So, I it, it, all signs point to the fact that there is something to that. All right, well, we've reached the point in the show where we make a crazy prediction. I'm going to give you mine, and I'm going to ask you to comment on mine and then ask me for your crazy prediction. So here's mine. We've heard so much about how the, the payroll is going to go down and going to go down 15, 20 million from what it was last year on opening day. And my crazy prediction is that the Mets payroll is going to be pretty close to what it was this past year. This past year was $154 million. And I'm going to say that this year's opening day payroll contrary to popular reports, is going to be at least $150 million. So how crazy is that? I don't think that's crazy at all. I think when you look at uh, the, uh, the players that are out there and you, you look at all the holes the Mets need to fill, I, th- I don't think that's crazy at all, especially if you have one or two guys where the market – kind of falls back to the Mets. You, uh, like when you talk about how the Indians got Edwin Encarnacion last year, how his market was so high, and then it came back to Cleveland and they were able to do it. I think if there's a couple of guys, like say, even, even if they wanted to upgrade the catching position and get a Lucroy or Wellington Castillo, somebody like that, if their market kind of comes down gives, uh, and gives the Mets a chance to sign them, then, then yeah, maybe – Maybe the, uh, the lure of that will be too great for the Mets to pass up, and maybe they will get that extra free agent. It hasn't been in the Mets' history, but I, I can't discount that completely at all. All right, so you shot down my prediction. Let me hear yours. What's your crazy prediction? Oh, no, I don't think – like I said, I wouldn't shoot it down. I'm not uh, – all I say is that it's not in their history. But, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't shoot that down at all. Now, I have a crazy prediction that I've been thinking about for a few weeks. The only thing is it doesn't, it, it doesn't involve the Mets – so, but my my crazy prediction is that the Tigers are going to trade Miguel Cabrera. Wow! Um, I and I you know, I, I, some, I say that. So let's go ahead. I was going to say we we hear so much about Stanton and and his contract being on the block, and there's been no shortage of suitors uh, interested in him. It'd be very curious from my point of view to see how many people would line up to get Cabrera. Well, I, I, the, the team I'm looking at is the Red Sox, and I think if the Red Sox lose out on Stanton, which it looks like they might since the Giants are so interested in them, I think that they would want to get that big power bat in, in the lineup, and I wouldn't be surprised if they went salary for salary and that this was their, 
excuse to get rid of David Price after the tough year he had in Boston, all the off-the-field stuff. I think that would be a move to not only help the, the offense but win some of their fans back. They've been talking about uh, in Boston – how the Red Sox, even though they were division winners, were really boring, and it wasn't the team that the fans really attached to. I think if they could trade Price and get a middle-of-the-order bat, even though he may be in decline like Cabrera, I think that would get some of those fans back. So that's my it's – a, it's a wild one. It's a crazy one, but um, that's, that's, what, that's the one I'm going with. Now, um, we've heard the Red Sox being attached to Stanton, but – Supposedly Stanton wants to go to a West Coast team, and he has the the no the full no trade protection, so he could veto a trade even if they were able to work out one. But I want to talk for a second just about the the Stanton to the Giants rumors because that's been a, a pretty consistent one, and and it makes sense given his his West Coast preference. But I I just don't know how the Giants fit his salary into that um, unless they're willing to go over the luxury tax threshold. Yeah, that's that's going to be they're going to that's going to be a team that's going to be have to be creative, also, and perhaps get rid of uh, some salary on the back end. Uh, they say Hunter, Hunter Pence will probably have to go somewhere else. It, it, they're going to have to be creative with that, and I'm not sure how many uh, players they're paying that aren't with the team anymore either, and they might still be paying Lincecum. Uh, for all I know, I'm not, but don't quote me on that. I don't know. But yeah, that's going to be harder for them than it would say for the Giants if they decided they wanted wanted to go. I mean, for the Dodgers, if the Dodgers wanted to go that route, they at least have some salaries that they could unload for uh, for Stanton, and they've got some real intriguing pieces, more intriguing than the Giants. But the Giants probably make the most sense because they have such a need to get that big bat and uh, and get some offense back in that lineup, which they haven't had for a while. Now, getting back to your uh, proposal about Cabrera, it's hard for me to, to label your prediction as, as crazy because I, I see the logic behind it. So I'm, I'm really torn. I think on, on one way it's crazy because you know, it, it's kind of hard to imagine the Tigers actually pulling the, the trigger on, on such a deal, but it, it makes too much sense. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to declare your, your thought half crazy. How about that? Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go. I'll accept that. All right. Well, um, you know, one thing just occurred to me today from out of the blue, and, and that's here in 2000 or next year, 2018, will be the Mets' 10th season in City Field. And, and that, that boggles my mind for some reason. And I want to yeah. know, do you think that fans have embraced the new park? And, and even more importantly, if we could give the Wilpons a do-over, do you think that they would build it knowing all that they know now? Uh, you, you know, it's a great point in terms of the finances, but Jeff Wilpon hated Shea Stadium so much. I think even if they get a do-over, they still do it, and they, and they ride with what they got and, and, uh, and still have all the financial problems. I, I think that they enjoy having that jewel, and I think they were ready to, more than ready to get rid of Shea Stadium. For sure. In terms of the fans, I think the fans have embraced it, although I do think it's a different subset of fans that regularly go to City Field than go to uh, Shea Stadium, at least, in, at least in the attitude of the fans. It's a lot more of, of an atmosphere where fans go more for the amenities than for the actual games, and when the Mets are bad, can you blame them? So, uh, yeah, I, I do think that they've embraced it. They've gotten used to it. Uh, the Mets have done 
at least a little more in terms of uh, in terms of acknowledging history, and they, they had to be shamed into it. But uh, I think they've made it comfortable and cozy, and uh, I think Met fans like it. I, I think Met fans enjoy the fact that a lot of Yankee fans have come out and said, "Hey, out of the two new ballparks in New York, we're we're Yankee fans, but we like City Field better." I have heard that from more than more than one Yankee fan, so I think that that. Give that, that one thing gives the gives the Met fan a, at least a little sense of pride. Now, for a long time after the Mets moved in uh, to City Field, the the team was really bad. I think the first six seven years they they didn't finish over five hundred, and I think there was a feeling out there that they had a fantastic ballpark, and the only thing that was missing was the memories of a winning team in that ballpark. But we had a little taste of that in, in both 2015 and 2016. Certainly when you go to a World Series, there's been some big wins along the way. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if fans, instead of, in, instead of phrasing the question, would the Wilpons do things differently, I wonder if the fans would do things differently. Wow, that's a great that's a great question. Uh, I think if you asked fans that question in the first few years of the ballpark, I think they would say no. We keep Shea because Shea. I, I think a lot of people tend to uh, take the take the tact of well, it was a dump, but it's our dump. But I think fans right. have gotten used to it. And I I uh, and as for me, I'll always miss Shea Stadium. I'll, I'll always miss the atmosphere. Uh, but I have I have warmed to the new uh, to the new ballpark. I've warmed to the amenities. And yeah, when they when they do have good teams, whenever that may be, I think there will be memories that are built. I mean, I was there when uh, Chase Utley got introduced on uh, uh, for during Game Three of 2015, and to hear and the boos were ear splitting. So yeah, you get a winning team in there, you get a full house. They'll 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 make memories for sure. It may the stands may not jump up and down due to uh, due to the uh, how Shea was built, but uh, we'll we'll just have to live with that. Well, the 30 minutes have just flown by. Uh, I want to thank uh, my guest tonight, uh, John Coppinger from the Metrodamus blog, for, for joining us, and, and I hope that uh, you'll consider joining us again here in the near future. Anytime you'll have me, I'm uh, more than happy to do it, and uh, thank you for having me again. And you and yours uh, and your listeners, have a, I wish you a great Thanksgiving, a very happy Thanksgiving. Right back at you, John, and uh, that's a perfect way to end the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Good night and goodbye.